Welcome to the Building BN Podcast, where we take an inside look at Bloomington Normal economic development with industry pros, local businesses, and community partners. Hosted by your BNEDC. Welcome to Building BN, a podcast by your Bloomington Normal EDC. And today we have a special guest uh, via Zoom. Um, we're doing this podcast uh, with somebody that's all the way on the East Coast, uh, but it's going to be Bennett Resnick. Welcome. Thanks so much. Great to be here. And uh, Bennett's got a, a really unique job and someone that we utilize uh, quite a bit here in Bloomington Normal to help us out um, with all the elected officials out in D.C. in order to bring some of the taxpayers' dollars back to Bloomington Normal via our One Voice trip. But before we jump into that, let's just get a little background about yourself and how you got into the role that you're in. Sure. So my background is actually in energy and environmental law and policy uh, after going to um, undergrad at James Madison University in Virginia, went to law school in Vermont and um, worked on pursuing energy and environmental law work in uh, in the D.C. region, um, fell into the, the infrastructure world and, and started to focus more on transportation issues. Uh, most recently, I guess it's been four years now with Cardinal Infrastructure, the federal advisory group um, that I serve as deputy counsel and director of government relations for, um, focusing both on the regulatory aspects of transportation, infrastructure, economic development, as well as the project-specific issues and the policy issues involved around those topics. That's going to be a lot to unpack a little bit later, but that's exactly why we <laughs> hire you as a consultant over at uh, Cardinal Infrastructure to help us out whenever we're out there in D.C. Um, so let's get a little bit more personal. What is a, a fun fact about yourself? Well, in, in college, um, and not many, not many people know this, but in college, I was a... Um, uh, I guess you can call it a, a, a model for Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone has a has a facility based in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and they recruit um, students and and faculty to serve in certain um, uh, picture situations so that you can convey a certain message. So um, when you're when you're learning a new language, you can get a better understanding of certain environments. So in college, I I served as a, a stand-in for some of these. Um, some of these pictures. Oh, <laughs> so if you have Rosetta Stone, uh, you know, feel free to keep an eye out for me. You're, you're in there somewhere. Is that the only place we can find you? You can't Google search this anymore. <laughs> in your images, we'll make sure that's on your LinkedIn profile. Um, so, yeah, what, you did cover this a little bit, but uh, your role at the company now, can you take a deeper dive into uh, what that entails? Sure. So I really have two roles. Uh, one is on the, on the legal and regulatory side. Um, there are a lot of uh, federal requirements that go along with different projects. And so uh, I work with our clients to make sure that they remain compliant with federal rules and regulations, but also that are that when we have new rules or regs being uh, formulated, advising clients on how those might change business operations or how we can provide public comments to federal agencies to try to shape these rules and regulations. On the, on the other side, um, of my portfolio is the direct lobbying and advocacy work that I do with Congress and federal agencies uh, with respect to other specific projects that we're trying to get funded for our clients. Um, for example, for the city of Bloomington, the Hamilton Road East-West Extension, uh, East-West Connection Project, and um, uh, also trying to advocate for certain policy uh, and, and legislative funding 
for um, for our clients. So, for example, uh, an infrastructure package which is going to be very comprehensive will include things like um, energy, broadband, uh, water infrastructure, and the like. And so, um, my role with the company is to to help advocate for those um, those funding levels. That's great. That's a that's a good intro to the background. And do you know um, just overall like what the history background of Cardinal Infrastructure is? So Cardinal was formed back in August of 2016. Uh, it's a combination of um, partners from two separate consulting groups that started to do a lot of work together and just decided to come under one umbrella. And so we um, uh, we come from different backgrounds, but mostly in the transportation infrastructure space. Um, uh, the partners at the firm, Anya Graves and Sherry Little, have been working for uh, for decades in this area. Hey listeners, it's Nick Duffel here, project manager with your BNEDC with your side of the week. Today's episode features 1209 Tawanda Avenue in Bloomington. Located in a TIF district with nearly 40,000 square feet, this site is perfect for retail, warehousing, or small manufacturing operation. For more information, see our show notes or email me, nick at bnbiz.org. And I know that one of the big things that you help out the EDC with, and it's actually been going on for quite a while, um, with our One Voice trips. And whenever I first started here at the EDC, I always wondered, um, what's the return on investment? That's what we do for every single project. Um, but looking over the years, the amount of dollars that have you know been brought back to this community, uh, most recently last year uh, via One Voice, um, with the Connect Transit, you know those dollars finally coming in. Um, if you could just tell the the listeners like what the normal process is, or when we're out there, like how that all comes together, because I know that you you do a lot of the organizing, then we get out there and we we do the handshaking and telling our story. Uh, but I know there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. Well, the trip is incredibly important, and and as you've seen from the results, very effective as well. Um, there's there's a couple reasons to continue to do it and to do it in a way that. Um, uh, uh, is on a fairly regular basis, not just once a year, but having continued engagement um, uh, back in DC. F- first of all, you, you're provided with an opportunity to um, to meet with your members of Congress um, and political appointees and career folks over at the federal agencies, um, not just to tell them about the needs, but also introduce yourselves and the, um, um, the critical projects that you're working on. But at the same time, it's getting a better understanding of the programs and grant opportunities that are out there. It's it's quite a, um, a complex web of different programs and sub-programs. And so coming to DC, interacting with uh, people at the federal agencies provides an introduction, not just to the agency, um, but also the programs that these projects can um, can apply for. The, the funding piece of it is, is incredibly important, but also um, I would say equally important is the continued engagement um, and providing information to the delegation, congressional staff, federal agencies, so that they can understand and appreciate the needs of communities like Bloomington and Normal. Yeah, and we've seen that, um, like I said, just from the results, because we're already about to return on investment. So for us to take local leadership up there and really have one voice, um, I think we normally take around 30 people out to D.C., um, just for a couple of days, uh, but it's a good way to let them know what we're working on and also meet uh, not only the elected officials and help tell their story about the projects, but also the staff. And I think the staff is very important in these agencies um, so that they know what we're working on, because a lot of times they're going to know about um, programs that could be coming down and how they can assist. Because even like here at the EDC, there's more than one way to accomplish something a lot of times. So it's it's always great to build that relationship as well. 
And while it's important for the mayors to come out to D.C. and interact with the other elected officials, I think it's very important that um, the the EDC has put together a group of of uh, various leaders in the community uh, to come out and not just speak in one voice, but also individually talk about their uh, their different backgrounds and their perspectives on what's needed in the community. And I think that one of the reasons that's been so successful is um, you know knowing what projects you know would qualify, having them as shovel ready as possible, because a lot of times. Um, grants come available, different kind of uh, loan opportunities, and they're they're looking for certain criteria, and they want to get to the ones that are closest to the finish line that you're actually going to deliver. And I think that's been the success of uh, here in Bloomington Normal over the years is that the projects have gone through, and we've got prime examples from beginning to end, um, so they know that whenever they're working with Bloomington Normal, that we're going to deliver uh, on their promises. Um, so let's jump into a little bit about uh, since you're you're in the infrastructure world with economic development. Um, you know, a lot of these dollars that do come back are for roads and are for transportation. I know the Uptown Normal um, Transportation Center is, is a wonderful upgrade from whenever I went to school here. <laughs> and I know you guys are a big part of that. Uh, but just in just roads in general, and I think uh, transportation in general, whenever you invest in infrastructure, you know, we look at economic development as this holistic system. And for us, it all starts with infrastructure. I know a lot of times people think our role is to go out and bring businesses in, and it, uh, it's all about the attraction game. But whenever those projects investments are made, the goal is to take those dollars, invest them back into the infrastructure, because we could have all the incentives in the world, and it's not going to matter if the basic infrastructure is not there. So you can touch on a little bit just about how infrastructure in general is important. Well, the, the term infrastructure has been interpreted fairly broadly by Congress and I think by previous administrations, but in particular this administration as well. So when we do say the word infrastructure, we're, we're, we're not just talking about roads and bridges and highways uh, and public transit, but we are talking about um, uh, waterways, locks and dams, um, uh, broadband technology, uh, energy uh, infrastructure, grid infrastructure, um, e- even to the extent of, of um, schools and hospitals. So it, they, they take a very comprehensive approach and um, try to get at it from from multiple perspectives. On the on the more traditional uh, road and highway and transit infrastructure, there's been a huge amount of investment over the last several years, uh, not just uh, in standalone bills, but the um, uh, the, the federal agencies are are providing more um, more programs that help fund either uh, bus infrastructure, rail infrastructure, roads and bridges, um, uh, eliminating grade crossings to increase safety and and, and more effective uh, transit for the community. Uh, there, there's been such a great deal of of federal support um, and, there, and a good deal of, of federal dollars out there to help enhance local infrastructure. And um, and I think uh, Bloomington and Normal have certainly. Uh, taken great advantage of those programs. No, I, I agree, and and for us, I, you know, going back in the history of how cities were developed, I think that they all started building around rails. So that was like the first infrastructure that was so important that you had to be on a major rail. After that, it was the highway system, um, and then probably five years ago, there was a major push for broadband. You know, some communities were ahead of that, like Chattanooga. Um, but if you didn't have broadband, then you weren't getting the workforce or the business. And now everyone's caught up to that. Um, but, you know, we're to the point now where we're lucky enough to have a, quite a few broadband um, suppliers here in the area, but we still have uh, roads to improve upon. That's why Hamilton Road is a big project for us going forward, because, you know, if you work at the look at the overall regional plan on how things could develop in certain areas, um, we've recently created a real estate development committee on our EDC that's going to focus on different areas of town, east side, west side, you know, what's what's the best and I guess, underdeveloped area that has a ton of potential 
um, if we had the right infrastructure in place. And for us, Hamilton Road's a prime example that if that gets through, it's going to alleviate a lot of traffic that is on um, Veterans Parkway right now. But then also, if you look at uh, the overall aerial shot on, on the west side, um, out where Rivian is, there's a lot of land out there and a lot of activity in cranes. And I'm sure that all those roads could use a little TLC as well. But if, if you invest back in just, just talking about roads, um, we can get in the sewer later on because that's another whole animal. Uh, <laughs> but roads are something, especially with transportation logistics. I, I hate to take a guess right now, but the requests for proposals, the RFPs we get in for distribution right now, are they're, they're crazy even just for one month into 2021. Uh, but without the roads, uh, th- those aren't possible. So I think it's something that I don't want to say people take for granted about the roads, but you got to take care of those. And I think that's where a lot of these dollars coming back um, we got to pull them here because you could probably attest to this. Whenever these bills are written and you start looking around at where the money goes, if it's not coming to Bloomington Normal, it's going somewhere. <laughs> so it's, it'd be interesting to see like a study over time, like where most of the dollars go. Um, but you have to have that because without it, you know, you, your workers can't get to work. Your products can't get in or out of the city. Uh, it Really, for us, it all starts with infrastructure. Well, the reality and, is, and oh, as you point out, it's very comprehensive. You have you have a road that's built. You want to look at other access from public transit perspective to that road. You're looking at housing. If you're digging up the road to lay to lay um, um, uh, new uh, connections, you want to look at the fiber that you'll lay at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it, it you, you take a very comprehensive approach to infrastructure just by starting with the road. Yep, put it here. I was just going to mention too that the reality is is that infrastructure isn't sexy. You know, you know people aren't people don't jump over the moon whenever someone's repaving a road, but they're the first to tell you when the road's bad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so I think um, without the infrastructure, communities don't exist, and especially those businesses don't exist. You know, the, you mentioned the RFPs that we get, and the in the RFPs, one of the first things they mention is. Um, adequate infrastructure, whether that, whether that yeah. be utility requirements, uh, water requirements, or, or sewer or sanitary and, and sewer requirements, and so I think having that infrastructure in place and, and continuing to advocate for that is is what sets Bloomington Normal apart. And as of what the way it aged, like I'm not an engineer, but I know that um, from speaking with engineers, especially working in municipalities um, here in central Illinois, the, the winters are brutal, you know, because they expand, and so if you got a pothole and some water gets in there and expands some more, it gets worse. And so the sooner you address it, the better off you're going to be, especially when it comes to roads. But as Bennett mentioned, while you're taking care of the roads, when you're pulling that up, it's a prime opportunity to lay fiber in there or take care of some other um, needs, whether that be water, whether that be you know, sewer, which I know um, you're talking about infrastructure not being sexy. Nobody's really run to cut a ribbon on improving a sewer system. But without it, you're in a lot of trouble and it's going to cost you on the back end. And you can you can see that when it comes to some capacity limits. You know, as uh, stormwater, I know, can get into some of our sewers if they're not taken care of. But it's something that I think people invest in at one time and they're like, it's OK, let's go work on something brand new because people like to see the new shiny buildings or even the streetlights because they're so visible. Um, but sometimes unless that's your road, it's not a priority. Ben, I'm curious, too, to talk a little bit some about, about some, of the, some of the federal trends that you're seeing in terms of infrastructure. You know, what? What is Congress um, really pushing for? You know, have you seen any any major overhauls in the last you know five ten years in terms of infrastructure? So the the surface transportation reauthorization bill uh, that we're under right now is the Fast Act. We're under a one year extension of that. Um, it it did um, uh, end back in September, and they extended it for another year while they continue to, to write the bill. The House did pass a version of it last year called the Invest Act. 
um, but it wasn't it wasn't passed by the Senate. The, the the Invest Act was part of a larger infrastructure package called the Moving Forward Act, and that, as I mentioned, took a, a very comprehensive approach to funding infrastructure. So Congress, specifically the House, has moved forward on trying to fund infrastructure. Um, President Biden had introduced a a $1.9 trillion COVID relief package that does include uh, some some portions of that doesn't uh, some portions of that includes funding for infrastructure. Um, but largely, it does get at the relief efforts underway for small businesses, state and local governments and the like um, to rebound from COVID. Uh, as of right now, there are efforts underway to uh, restart the discussions on a, a comprehensive infrastructure package. The the two main issues that I think are always um, always there with with Congress is what what should be included in an infrastructure package and how is it funded. Mm. And the funding piece has always been a challenge because infrastructure as a topic has generally been bipartisan until you get to how to pay for it. <laughs> I can see that. And it, one of the things um, which we really pay attention to is the overall economic impact of a project like that. And I know that we're bringing dollars back and we're investing in the roads, but the amount of jobs, and I think that's probably why it's bipartisan, is there's a, there's a ton of really good paying jobs that it takes to build these roads and bridges and anything else that has to do with infrastructure compared to some other projects. And these infrastructure bills are not just funding opportunities that are that are um, for current infrastructure projects, but they're also investing in the future workforce by trying to provide new workforce development programs mm. to help fund the jobs of the future. And I know this year we've already talked about whenever we are going out to One Voice, we're going to do it virtually, um, but how important it is because there's a new administration in place, which means there's going to be new um, members and staff in the different agencies and uh, just trying to get our foot in the door to meet them as well. Has it been uh, as everybody turning over out there? <laughs> There's, a, there's certainly a big transition that all the all the federal agencies, um, whether it's the Small Business Administration or the Department of Commerce, you have new cabinet secretaries, deputy secretaries, all the way down. Um, and uh, uh, as we say in D.C., personnel is policy. So with with these new uh, folks at the different agencies, you get a, um, a very different set of, of policy priorities that are not just coming from the White House, but are coming from those those cabinet secretaries and those in those political appointed positions. And that's one of the reasons that we, uh, you know, we were partnering with you on so many things is just to keep tabs on that because it changes so fast and uh, having the insight before some of the information actually goes public. And they want, even when it does, just looking at the, uh, the the programs with the Paycheck Protection Program, it's like a lot of times the legislation is written and it's pushed out there before the rules are really in place. So we got to lean on you quite a bit just to figure out what they just passed and what that means to us and how we can relay that on to um, the local community and our local businesses. Bennett, how can that turnover uh, impact um, somebody like you in a position where you're advocating for infrastructure and then staff turns over and maybe some of those priorities and some of those policy proposals are different than what we're pushing for? Well, a great example is when you look at grants that are issued by the by the administration, you have certain review criteria that the, um, the applicant has to meet based on the legislative um, requirements, but also you have secondary review criteria that the administration or that specific department or federal agency places on on those pro on those project applications. So for example, the last administration had prioritized um, a good deal of, of impacts for rural communities. They looked at opportunity zones and the like. This administration though, and we've not seen a, a grant 
uh, yet come out from the Department of Transportation um, that lists these priorities. But we suspect that a good deal of the, of the secondary review criteria for grants will be on how they address sustainability or climate change issues, how they look at equity um, and accessibility. And so I, I think there'll, there'll be a, a very different set of secondary review criteria that will be um, uh, that will be put into place to review these these new applications. Uh, well, that's, that's all great information. That's probably something that you know it's it's if you're not in the game, you don't really understand it, and it's it's all part of a, another another level of economic development when it comes to infrastructure side of things. Um, but this has been uh, great information to try to uh, pull back the curtain. And there's there's so much more that goes into the actual trip, following up afterwards, uh, so many applications and um, letters of recommendation that are coming for, or support letters from other agencies that, that pulled us off. And then plus all just the, the work from the, uh, the local elected officials, but the state officials and also uh, the federal officials to uh, you know get these things, to actually bring these dollars back. It's, it's a really large coordinated effort. Um, and that's why, like you said, you have to do it more than once a year. Like we take the whole group once a year, but trying to get out there more on a regular basis um, to keep pull, pulling these back, I think it's the best way to succeed when it comes in investing in infrastructure. I absolutely agree. I think all these programs are are extremely oversubscribed nationwide. So even if you have a billion dollar program, you'll have $4 billion worth of applications right. to sift through. So coming out to DC, constantly engaging with the delegation and these federal agencies are, are extremely important to stand out. Hey listeners, it's Amber Wolfley, Business Retention and Expansion Manager at your BNEDC. Are you interested in starting your career here in McLean County? As of today, there are over 2,200 jobs listed on Indeed.com. For more information or to apply today, head on over to their website and see why BN was voted a top most livable city in the nation. So speaking of DC, like we cannot skip this part because One Voice is awesome as far as you know the working days goes. But at the end of it, um, we always try to hit uh, a nice restaurant here or there. So we'd like to get your input on you know what your perfect, I guess, twenty four hours would be in DC. This can be work or play, but if you could have just twenty four hours in DC, what what would you do? Oh gosh. <laughs> um... Well, obviously, there are, there are so many museums and, and other galleries to um, uh, to visit. Uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the National Portrait Gallery. Mm -hmm. uh, really enjoy the Phillips Collection. They have a great collection of artwork. Um, so many restaurants in D.C. But interestingly enough, I've, I've not been in D.C. since March because of the pandemic. I live just outside in Virginia. And so I I don't know what restaurants are even still, still around and open. But um, I am a huge fan of the Capitol Grill, huge fan of La Diplomat and Wasika. Um, there's just there's just so many great restaurants in DC. And I think it's mainly because you have such um, uh, a different collection of, of groups of people that come in and out of Washington, uh, from the embassies to uh, the, at the Defense Department. And so uh, for that, you have a very um, uh, a wide, wide variety of foods to choose from. Um, there's also great tours of the Capitol and, and um, uh, different um, federal buildings. Um, there's just so much to do and, and it's, a, it's a great place to visit. Yeah, I would say I just remember being out there the last time and just how nice it was that everything's all in one area. So like all the museums, um, also uh, all the federal buildings, but then even I think the hockey team's right there and then baseball's mm -hmm. not too far away, which hopefully next time we can time it so we can actually go see a baseball game with the Nationals. But I know Nick would like that being a big baseball fan. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
So, I mean, out of all, out of all the restaurants that are there, this is really going to put you on the spot if they're open or not. What's your favorite go-to food item that you'd recommend in DC? Oh, I, I, I'm a huge fan. And I, I think I'm saying the restaurant name correctly, um, either Rasika or Rasika. Um, it's a great Indian restaurant. They just have, they have the best, uh, it's called Pa'at Chat, which is a, um, uh, a spinach, um, street food, I guess. It's just a, it's a great restaurant and I highly recommend it. We're gonna have to take notes on that to try it next time we're out there. Absolutely. <laughs> Cause we're always trying to mix it up with every trip on our, our food options for sure. Um, so also being involved in economic development, one of the last questions we always ask our guests on the show is um, why economic development is important. Well, that's such a big question. Um, <laughs> I, I think it because because it touches the, the entire community. I mean, it's such an important uh, issue to become invested in, uh, whether it's um, a local community center or a, uh, a new road project. There's just it has such a, a wide reaching impact to those that not just use those facilities or services, but those that just live in the community and um, uh, have a second degree benefit of having economic development um, uh, and, and the infrastructure enhancements reach their community. It's incredibly important. Um, and uh, and I, I look forward to continuing to work with um, EDC and, and, and the city of Bloomington, the town of Normal, to try to bring those dollars back to the community, uh, enhance economic development, increase workforce development, uh, and just continue to move the, the region forward. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming on today. I think this has been a nice look inside of One Voice and why we do it every year, but also uh, talked a little bit about the importance of infrastructure. I think you just recapped it um, when you were talking about how it does impact everybody in one way or another. And one of the reasons that we do this podcast is just to try to tell that story on why it matters that this group does go to D.C. every year and how that impacts um, not just the businesses, but also the workers and also the, our residents. So we really appreciate you coming on today and uh, hopefully looking forward to seeing you in person soon. I know we've got our virtual one voice coming up in the beginning of March, um, yep. but yeah, I'll, I'll be glad to get out there. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? Well, I do just want to briefly mention the the president's um, relief proposal. Um, there, there is a, that broad-reaching one point nine trillion dollar package that's uh, moving its way through Congress now. It has uh, three hundred fifty billion in state and local funding. It has a fifty billion dollar package that would establish a new relief fund for restaurants and provide additional support hmm. through the Small Business Administration to venues and small businesses, nonprofit organizations that are impacted by the pandemic. So, uh, do keep an eye on that as it makes its way through Congress. Hopefully it gets passed and signed by the president in March. We can continue to, um, to help our businesses and local communities come out of this pandemic. Great. Yeah. Another, more solid information. That's a, like I said, we rely on you uh, heavily for that to get it, you know, here in town and get it out and making sure that um, we're getting those dollars in the hands of our local businesses and residents. So as uh, always, appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for coming on to Building BN today. My pleasure. Tune in next week as we continue to take an inside look at Bloomington Normal's economic development with industry pros, local businesses, and community partners. And learn more about our BN Advantage. <laughs>